Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Everybody, to another episode of Pod Strickland. I'm your host, which includes this episode 160. I'm joined on Mark with the King Junior Day, MLK Day, uh, with my co host, by my co host, uh, that's Stacy at StacyPan89. Stacy, what's going on? How are you? Uh, you know, doing okay. Still a day off, so. Yeah, can't complain. Lost and all, and still enjoy it. Yes. Uh, the Knicks lost to. The Charlotte Hornets. Uh, they lost to the Charlotte Hornets, ninety-seven, eighty-seven. Um, that dropped them to twenty-two and twenty-two, and brought a halt to what they were on a three-game winning streak, four-game winning streak. I don't remember something like that. It was, it was nice. three: uh, yeah. Dallas, San Antonio, and Atlanta. Not in that order. But, yep. Yeah. Uh, and uh, yeah, so the Knicks are twenty-two and twenty-two now. But before we get started to discuss all of this, a couple of things I need to announce uh the strickland does have a patreon uh if you subscribe to it there are multiple tiers that you can subscribe to there's a six dollar tier that gets you access to pod strickland every friday as well as my mailbag with with uh jeremy and drew every other week uh also you get access to the strickland discord and you can talk to all of these Stricklandites and the strickland staff there where we talk about the next all the time uh also there are further tiers there's a nine dollar tier which i would highly recommend you subscribe to because with that tier you get access Two, weekly articles from Matthew Miranda and Jack Huntley, two of the best writers around in the Knicks universe, in basketball, in anything. Very, very good writers. Uh, definitely would recommend subscribing to it just for that. You also get access to my solo podcast, uh, Strick and Roll, which is not that much of a sell unless you really want to listen to me yell about more things more often. Uh, but there are also further tiers, $15, $30, $50, and $100 tiers. Uh, with all those, there come additional perks, like discounts on merchandise, listening in on pod recordings, potentially even hosting a podcast alongside us. Uh, either way, whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. Uh, and none of this would be possible without you. In addition to that, another announcement to make. Uh, the Strickland does have a promotion offer you through Ticket IQ. Uh, Ticket IQ obviously is a site that you can use to buy, guess what? Tickets, uh, often to sporting events. Uh, but through the Strickland, uh, if you have an order of $100 or more, if you type in promo code Strickland, uh, that'll give you $10 off of that order. So again, the promo code for that for Ticket IQ, any order off of $100. It is Strickland. Gives you $10 off. Um, but, all right, let's get, now that we're done with all the capitalism stuff here, let's get into the nitty-gritty of basketball. Shall we? Sounds good. Yeah. All right, let's do basketball. All right, uh, so the Knicks lost 97-87 to the Hornets. I don't know. Uh, I guess, like, I didn't feel great about it, but, I mean, I, I don't know. I guess it just, it didn't concern me as much as a lot of 
the other shitty losses we've seen them have this year. Um, and that's not to say that, you know, they played with the greatest effort or energy throughout. No, I mean, they didn't. But, like, just in general, I mean, I don't know. Miles had a great game. And, yeah, some of that was Julius was not focused to start the game. But then he was just making incredible shots. Um, and really, outside of Miles, I just didn't have much of an issue with that. I mean, offensively, we didn't have it going. And we can talk a little bit about that because some of the issues that we've brought up previously before on this podcast um, in terms of dealing with trapping and zones, uh, again, were an issue today. But um, yeah, I mean, I know that sounds like a really big cop-out, but, you know, the Knicks have won five of seven, I believe. Uh, They just won three straight. Obviously, it would have been really nice to get this win today, uh, especially with tomorrow being the second game of a back-to-back against Minnesota. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I'm not happy about it, but I... I thought there were some I thought there were some interesting things to take away from this game that aren't all necessarily negative or concerning. Yeah, I mean one I think the Hornets are a bad matchup. Uh people were you know I think there's an opening maybe with LaMelo out. Uh and this is not to say that LaMelo isn't a very impactful player. But that's a talented team. Um uh, Miles Bridges has legitimately played like an all-star for large stretches of the season. Um this isn't Terrence Ross going off against us. This is a good player who played better than he has. Probably this might have been his best game of his career. But this isn't some no-name player. Um, and they have they have depth at guard. So even with Lamelo out, you know they have Rozier. They have guys that can that can play that role. Um, you know, I, I think that one of the things that sticks out that is a bit of a recurring issue is the Knicks team do seem to have a lack of foot speed on the perimeter. Um, Burks is, is pretty solid at the point of attack. He did a terrific job on Trey Young. Um, but Trey's not that fast, though, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I would say from I mean, he's going to be faster than most six six guys. Um, but Rozier really got to Burks a little bit, not so much just with straight drives, but um, especially when Burks was trying to help on Bridges, it seemed like he lost track of Rozier a few times, and it's, he's been more locked in this season, so. It's probably, um, you know, it's probably not just a lack of effort, but definitely seemed to get to him. But also dealing with Bridges, he's, he's, he's just, he was a matchup nightmare, right? They put Julius on him. I actually thought Julius had a few really good possessions on him when he locked in. But early on, he didn't have the intensity. And then when they put Forney on Bridges, he's not quick enough. They didn't really go to Barrett as much as you'd like. I think that they wanted to, put, to stick RJ on him, but, you know, the Hornets were able to get switches. Um, I think the switching one to three is something I think they like to do on the perimeter and it's had mixed results, particularly with Fournier out there. Uh, and in games like this, um, you know, you don't want to complain too much about rotations. It's not like Grimes set the world on fire, but I thought I was pretty impressed with his defense today and I would have liked to see him get in earlier in the third. Uh, you know, we've talked about Tibbs rotations enough. I don't think we need to go too much into that, but getting him in a couple of minutes early in the third quarter wasn't going to change the game. Um, but overall, yeah, I mean, they definitely seem to lack intensity, but I'll emphasize this is a bad matchup and the Hornets seem to really, they seem to take this game. Like, yeah, there's a game separating us. And if the Knicks win, then they tie us. Right. And, you know, they came out with some creative zones that gave the Knicks a lot of problems. And, um, the Knicks tried, the Knicks did try some different things, right. Uh, on both ends on offense. Um, I think they were. They tried to move the ball, but what zones tend to do against this team and trapping, 
is that when teams recover, the Knicks aren't, besides Grimes, really, there are, and even Grimes is overpassing. There is a tendency to overpass and pump fake when uh, it's not really giving you an advantage, but all it's doing is let the defense reset. And the processing was really, they don't have, I mean, I think we've all talked a little bit about how connectors and quick processors would help, uh, you know, for people who wanted to sign Lonzo Ball, that's the kind of thing that you're often talking about. Um, and the Knicks seemed to get bogged down with that, but they were just making some uncharacteristic mistakes. I think RJ had two wild passes that went out of bounds, which definitely not fun in the moment, but that's not a, that's not something he's shown. Like he's not an inaccurate pass or anything. Um, I will say on one note, one thing that stuck out a little bit today is that the really, it's, it was, is a point of emphasis. I would uh, compare to the Hornets, the Knicks have guys who can make the right reads, but accuracy and passes hitting a guy in the shooting pocket versus making him reach or making him relocate a little bit, even just a step. That's the diff that I think that played a huge role probably in the Hawk series. We got on Bullock for not being able to get it off. But some of it is that the, the passes aren't going to be right to your shooting pocket. And if you watch teams like the Warriors play or the, the Hornets today, they it's just a lot more crisp. And it, it, it prevents having, it, it also makes it easier to make the decision to just shoot. Um, so bad matchup. Um, definitely not the energy you'd like to see all game. I will say the officiating I didn't think was good, but didn't it wasn't the, the determining factor. But um, there were a couple of plays that were just baffling. I think, you know, and especially when you're just looking for positives, that can be frustrating. And quickly had a nice hesitation move off a of pick and roll to freeze Plumley, and he went to the rim the way we've told him to, and or we've told him to. <laughs> we have, I think, most Knicks fans have wanted him to, and it wasn't vertical. If you watch the replay, the guy came in from the side, hacked him, no call, right? And that's especially. I always used to get upset when. I think quickly has better mentality than this, but with Frank, especially it seemed like whenever that would happen to him once or he got blocked, he would stop attacking with your young players. You kind of want them to see the ball go in or see the positive result come out. And that was what later in the game was a little bit frustrating, but um, what the Knicks, I think bridge, what bridges up exposed is something that someone like Cam Reddish can help with. Right. Um, I, I, I think that, um, you know, what I'll say about bridges and sorry, I've been talking for a lot. So I'll just say this. What impressed me most about Miles Bridges, like, yeah, the shot making was there, but he just, he seemed to be able to exploit whatever the Knicks threw at him, right? They throw a bigger defender at him, like Randall, and he preyed on kind of some of the lack of engagement. Although I think, I do think ultimately that's their best option against them. They put Fournier on him, he's too fast. Um, and then they put Burks on him, who's quicker than Fournier, but immediately Miles Bridges attacked the rim, had a couple of big offensive rebounds. That combination of motor, size, strength, and speed is really tough to match up with. So even if you did have a guy like Cam, you'd probably have to worry about the glass because we know Bridges is going to take advantage of there. Uh, he really doesn't give you any. You know, he he just he can attack you in so many ways. But um, but you know we saw that the Knicks with the Hawks, right? Everyone talks about Trey Young, but Bogdanovich, Herder, these six seven six eight wings with speed, athleticism. Uh, shooting ability. Um, and when I say athleticism, I mean, Bogey and Herter aren't the most athletic guys, but they're quick enough to beat defenders that size off the dribble. Those kind of playoff matchups are what you'd hope Reddish can give you one-on-one, -on -one. but he has a lot to clean up, obviously, off-ball and kind of being locked in consistently. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I thought the Miles stuff was... I, I actually thought 
it was stupid to keep Randall on it. Like, I get it because Randall's like, you know, you don't necessarily want to take him off of Miles. You want to keep And I thought when he was locked in, he had some really, he was the only guy who could really stay in front of him and match up with his strength. Yeah, I mean, I guess, look, this is what I think. I just think Tibbs was way too like I don't think they lost this game because of Tibbs. I think it's absurd to think that like no, no, no. if he was quicker with subs, we would have won the game. I think Definitely. it would have helped. Um, I thought Grimes needed to play more. I thought he needed to come in way sooner than he did in the second half. I thought Obi needed to play more, come in much sooner than he did in the second half, especially in the second half because that's when the Hornets more or less they just went entirely to zone and trapping. Like that, that's all they did in the second half. They didn't do anything. They just junked up the game. Um, that needed to be like that has to be a moment where like they're fucking playing Miles Plumley and Miles fucking Bridges at the five today. That's what they did. They played PJ Washington for like seven minutes at the five or something like that. When Jada McDaniel or something. But, like, but basically they didn't play any five that you need to worry about like just hammering you, you know, with a lack of size on the inside. It was so that that to me, to not play Randall and Obi together in this game was just so stupid, especially given, or not stupid, but it's like, if you're not, if you're not going to do it today, then you're just telling me that you're never going to do it. And that's incredibly frustrating. That's like, that's like, why is OB still here then? That's how I feel about that. Um, because if you're not going to even try it in a game like this, where OB also played great to start the game, he came in off the bench and he played like four forty or something like that in the first in the second quarter, the first four minutes, forty seconds, some bullshit like that. Uh, and he had seven points, two rebounds, and you know, like, I mean, you could just see the difference. And you could all the other thing that Obi has, uh, and I'll bring this up. You know, you mentioned athleticism. Obi is he does not look out of place on the court with any of these guys. He's as athletic as any of them, vertically, you know, around the rim, whatever. And that immediately bore fruit for the Knicks when he came in. So I think he was him and Taj weirdly were the only two net uh, pluses in the in the in the first half. But you know whatever that it doesn't even really matter. Like the plus minus, like you could just see the difference um, that his speed and energy and movement brought to the game because the rest of the game was just got bogged down in quicksand because they were playing these junk defenses and. Then he's good at he's good at finding space. He's like he is the closest thing we have to a connector who can make those. He is a connector. It's not being close to it. He is a connector. Yeah. So to not play him there in those moments are incredibly frustrating. And this is like my issue with this is it's not this is not a one time thing. This is not like oh wow like the Knicks just it wasn't like oh like just a weird game where the zone and the trapping just couldn't really come to terms with it and guy like no this is like a recurring theme going back to the to last season. And this is yeah, like, this is a tactical issue at this point. This is not like some bullshit thing where it just happened. It wasn't just like, like that is actually my only frustration. And again, like I want to make clear, I don't think just because I think there are better ways to attack the zone that we would have won the game. If we had done that, but like coaching isn't about like coaches don't necessarily win and win or lose you game. All they can do is deploy talent and, and try things to give you a better chance. And like to me, the second half of this the, the game was over when he didn't make a sub for the first seven minutes of the second half. That's what I thought. Because Yeah, and I mean it was, it was so just the same obvious. thing, right? It was and just I mean, obvious. It, like like Fournier and Burks, I like them. I think they are useful players. I know that Fournier has had God knows, you know, been really up and down, but like he at least has shown recently that 
even if he's not somebody that you want around long term, there is obviously a role for him in the NBA, and he's not some like horrible albatross contract that nobody would ever like. He's yeah, not. This isn't playing Kazone. We're not playing negative players, right? He's just, yeah, yeah. He's like he has he has a, he has a role. Like he he has skills. It's fine. Um, and Burks, you know, I, I just I, he's miscast as a starting point guard. Like, I, there's no point really. There's nothing else to say. You know, it's not like a deep conversation. It's just like, yeah, I mean, there. It's great to have games like we did against Dallas and and Atlanta. Um, and I think I, one of the things with both of those games, they're not against, athletic. They're not. Yeah, these are these are bigger teams as opposed and they to play slow. And they play slow. Both they play, those play slow. Same with the Spurs, who um, they, the starters again had a really good game in that one. But like they, and that's like, also those are all teams that thrive on size, right? So against Dewante Murray. And he did kill us, right? But he was mostly mid range. Like that's where you like Burks' size helps you. Um, but yeah, like and is, when the defense plays well, that's the thing. When when you can get stops, the biggest thing with Alec Burks is like the hot, the, the Hornets did this. You pressure him close to half court, and it just that extra three or four seconds between getting this play set at twenty seconds versus getting it at sixteen or fifteen makes a huge difference. And that's what the problem is with Burks, which. Say whatever you want about IQ, he's able to get the offense in a faster place. But even if you don't buy that, this is why I think some people have said, you know, does Kemba even have a place if he comes back because the Knicks have been winning? And I said, yeah, because Point Burks isn't really sustainable. And I'll let you finish. But the only other thing I wanted to add to what you were saying with Obi is that this is what is another one of those games where it can be both the truth that Mitchell Robinson played well and also the fact that we could have benefited from Obi at center because. Um, Mitchell Robinson, I thought, actually had a pretty good game. I don't think he missed too many box outs. He got frustrated and started chasing blocks in the second half, but it's not something I've seen too much from him this year, so I'm not going to kill him on that, uh, especially during this last stretch. But he did have the worst plus-minus in the game at minus 25. Um, you can say what one game plus-minus doesn't matter as much, but um, I think I mean, it was, it it was, be, it was it's the trapping, right? Like, to I'd, your be, point. I'd be curious to see what his plus minus is in all these games where we play trapping zone defenses. I'd because the, when you get in the ball, there was and there was one, he had the one memorable dribble from half court, right, on yeah, Plumlee, which was nice, yeah. but um, which is something we'd love to see from him. Um, but especially when they tried to use him as an outlet, or even Todd, right? Um, there was one play where RJ passed out of a trap to to Mitch, and he took one dribble, and that was all the Hornets needed to kind of strip it. And the Hornets were very handy today. Um, and I'm not going to, I'm not complaining about refs here. I'm just saying that was something worth adjusting to. And that's where someone like Obi just seemed to thrive so much better in traffic, being able to be strong with the ball and, and handle it. And that's where you're really like, you know, yeah, I get it. You don't, you're worried about rebounding and all of that. But it wasn't the lack of size that killed you on the glass today, right? It was the lack of getting a body on someone. It was all of those things. And it was the speed and the quickness. And that's the thing. It does seem to be that Tibbs favors size over speed. Um, and that's not always going to work. Yeah, I just, I just, I don't even know. What to, I, it's just a frustrating thing that, again, it's been an issue since last year when we play these teams that play aggressive zone defenses or trap and all that. It's just, it's the same issue over and over again. And at some point, like I, I had somebody DM me and talk about, and was like, Oh, like, see, this is why IQ is not a point guard. And why isn't he making these reads? And I'm like, like, we've seen that, like we've seen, we've had Derek Rose in games like this and he doesn't change it. Like, it's not like our offense looks amazingly different. You know, it's, it's just, 
if your entire offense is predicated, if you don't have much to pivot from like ice, like mid post ISOs and effectively like running high pick and roll, yeah, yeah, pick and roll or like pistol action, which is effectively is pick and roll. Um, like these teams just will kill you. They'll these, the scheme will kill you. And if you don't, especially when you refuse to, to try to play a couple of guards that or sorry, bigs that can do more than just, you know, like, like all we we're just playing vertical rim running fives who don't really offer much else. It becomes incredibly hard. Um, to run an effective offense, especially with the steady diet of pick and roll and trapping and like, and the reason being is even if you pass it to Mitch like ten feet from the rim, I mean yes, that dribble move he made was great today, but obviously you're not going to start passing him on the short roll and expect him to dominate the game or something, you know. And that is why I would I just don't understand not playing Obi more in a game like this because it's it's just like if this was the first time I would understand why that adjustment wasn't coming, right? Because you'd be like, okay, well, you know, maybe he thought this, like, you know, okay, maybe this is, we've seen this now. I mean, and this is not like, we've seen this against terrible teams. We saw this earlier this season, like a few weeks ago, that Minnesota game where they had literally nobody. There was like a bunch of 10-day guys. And all they did is the same thing, and it blew up the offense, and we didn't adjust the entire game. So all that basically happens then is your entire game it ends up being predicated on are we hitting threes to shoot them out of the zone? And, like, it's easy to be like, well, you're playing zone, so you should be able to shoot well. But, like, that puts an inordinate amount of pressure on your shooters, especially when you can't get to the rim. Like, you cannot get to the rim. And, and yes, part of that is we don't have dynamic driving players without Derrick Rose and just in general on the roster. Um, like, R.J. Barrett and Randall can drive a lot, but they're not dynamic. They're not shifting defenses with their speed tremendously or anything like that, right? They can't beat a zone defense all the way to the rim, for example. Um, but but uh, the other problem is we don't really generate much at the rim that's easy because we don't challenge defenses in multiple ways. We don't really run any actions that are, you know, you know, it's not a very complex offense, I guess is probably the best way to put it. But uh, again, I want to make this clear. I, I know that just all that sounds like I'm shitting on Tibbs, but like I really don't think Tibbs necessarily coached a terrible game. It's more just a collective fr- frustration at the zone thing. Uh, what I will say also about this And they, they're a weird matchup. I think it's worth mentioning that. Like, yeah, they're a weird matchup for us. And I think, I mean, but again, this is like where my frustration is because yes, they're a weird matchup for us. But we have the ability to be weird, and we never choose to do it. We never choose to do it. We always stick to this is what we do. And, like, there's value in that, but there's also value in, you know, like, again, it's not even just about playing small. It's also like, hey, uh, maybe, like, that first, within the first two minutes of the second half, I was like, okay, we can't get stops because... Burks and Fournier are just slow. And then you watch, and then you watch, like, I don't think Quickly played a particularly great game. I don't even think uh, Grimes played a particularly great game. But, like, and and to say, and I'm saying this because even though I don't think they played particularly great games, they were part of the only portions of that game where we matched up with them in any coherent fashion. You know, like, like where we played even on even terms with them. Other than that, the game, they just kept stretching leads out. Mostly. So, like, that that is really frustrating to me because I just thought 
it's okay. Like sometimes if Burks doesn't have it, it's okay. He doesn't have it. You know, he doesn't sometimes you just don't have it. You know, like he clearly did not have it in his legs today. You know, like he had he front rimmed that one three in the second half that looked like I mean, I thought it was an air ball when he let it go. You know, it was it barely got there. Um and Fournier just Whatever, he didn't have it either. And, like, you know, even RJ and Randall, they didn't particularly play great. I thought they played a lot more aggressively than those two. Um, I mean, like, I, I have to say RJ was a mixed bag today, but I I was I think it, this was, in a way, a good I, step for his development because he went, he was aggressive, he kept going to it. There were a couple of those. There was What annoyed me about RJ's performance the most was there was a play early on where, like, he had it on the fast break, Bridges was at the rim, and he went right into his chest and finished over him. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a good RJ game. Uh, and then he had a couple of more of those kind of lean in and then fade away and throw something off the glass things, which I, he needs to scrap, I think. Uh, I think he t- too often goes for finesse finishes. Um, but overall, he was, the, like, he was getting downhill. Like, he knew how to attack the Hornets' defense. Um, the execution left something to be desired. But, um, you know, it's, it's tough to really hate on RJ today. Or Randall, yeah. for that matter. But, like, RJ, I thought... It stood out more to me. Yeah, I, I I wanted to talk about RJ a little later, but yeah, I, I mean, I broadly agree. Um, but what you know, I just thought you know nobody particularly had a great game, right? And that's fine, that happens. Um, I just thought like if you had a chance in this game, it was going to involve mucking it up defensively more. And to be fair to the Knicks and to Tibbs in general, ninety-seven points to the Hornets is not like like that's pretty good. You know, like that—that's not a terrible defensive performance. Uh, that's actually a pretty damn good one. The Knicks held them to ninety-seven points on eighty. Yeah, I mean, they—they they took their foot off the gas, but I mean, I mean, it, it was like, sixty-two in the first half. That's what really killed us. That was just Miles, though. Miles had what, like twenty-eight or thirty or something in the first half. Like, yeah, but okay. So not to impugn Miles's performance, but the Knicks didn't put up a ton of resistance. Like, like I, mean, I thought he had—he was able to get to his spots pretty comfortably. I think he so hit, like, the rim. He had a couple of tough half. threes, but what? I think he had like three step back threes in the first half. Off the dribble step back threes. Like if a guy is going to I think that, those okay, but even at least on two of those, I think there was one that was just ridiculous, but at least on two of those, the Knicks also gave him a lot of room and it's like you know what he's going to do here. So Yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't think like they I don't think you could I watch I don't I didn't want watch, watch this game and think like damn, the defense sucks. I just thought we. I watched this game and I was like, you know, they made some shots, we didn't, and we missed a bunch of free throws. And okay, like that. I didn't think the defense was particularly problematic. I thought it started off pretty bad. Um, I would say the first quarter was terrible. I didn't have a problem with it after the first quarter. I thought for the most part the defense was fine after the first quarter. Um, did they have? Did they have lapses? Did they have moments where they? And it, like, here's the thing: a lot of the issues I had with them defensively particularly relate to how they look they looked in this game when they had RJ Fournier and Burks as their three perimeter guys because you just you're not fighting you're not playing with the same speed and this is a team that runs around the perimeter and sets a bunch of screens for their shooters constantly so like when you are operating like that it makes it very very challenging given your personnel especially when you're not scoring well because then you're letting them leak out a bunch too um, so I just thought you needed to play Grimes way quicker, way more, way, way, way. He needed to come in way sooner in the second half. He should have maybe started the second half. I mean, I know Tibbs is never going to do that, but he needed to come in way sooner than he did. I thought quickly needed to come in way sooner than he did. 
because Burks and Fournier gave you nothing today. They gave you nothing on either end. Um, and again, I, I don't think Quickly or Grimes played a particularly great game, but I thought, I mean, by any measure, they were far better than than Fournier and Burks. Um, so I just thought that was like a very, you know, I don't hate the substitution patterns all the time that Tibbs goes with. I just thought, you know, seven minutes to make your first sub in that second half was pretty odd. I thought that was very weird. Um, but, uh, yeah, yeah, so whatever. I mean, that, that's what I thought. I, I do want to get back to this RJ thing because I think it's pretty interesting. I would describe this game as, I thought it was a good, bad game. Like, if you are kind of leaning into RJ is going to be one of your driving offensive forces, um, like he's going to be driving a lot of your offense, then you have to live with games like this, especially right in, at this stage of his career. Because he needs to be able to have games where he he fucks up. He fucks up a bunch. Because um, that's how you learn from it. And that's how you, like, he he had to make adjustments throughout this game. He didn't make all of them, obviously. You know, he had seven, he went seven of 18 from, from the field for 18 points. Uh, he had six turnovers to five assists. Um, you know, he, he obviously did not play anything close to a perfect game or even necessarily a good game, but I thought he had some really good... I, I thought the fact that he kept driving... Like, the difference to me between him and Randall today was that RJ kept driving, um, and he kept trying to force the action at the rim um, in a positive way, not in the stupid, like, I'm just going to keep driving a Robert Williams type of way. Um, whereas I thought Randall got frustrated. He, he fell in love with the jumper very early in this game, uh, which was annoying to watch. Um, and I just, I didn't like his process. I don't really want to belabor the point too much because I know people shit, like, he's had a really shitty year for the standard we were expecting. I did rule. I thought he played great against Atlanta. Um, I, I thought he played really well against Dallas. You know, I, I am not, I just, I'm not going to do the, the, the Julius thing today. You know, I, I don't, he did not have a good game today. I didn't like his process. Um, but I thought RJ's process was good. I thought that he got to the rim a bunch. I thought he was trying to make the right plays, um, even if his execution was off, both in terms of scoring and passing. Um, I have to say, like, one, one other thing about him, and not to belabor this thing, which we don't need to have anymore, but a lot of the times, especially when now we've kind of, I've looked at a lot more cam film, the thing that stands out to me is like RJ, when he gets in the lane, um, I think his decision-making is actually pretty good. Like he's good at seeing passing lanes. I think he has a generally good idea of when to do pass versus shoot. Although again, I think he settles for kind of fading away more than he should with his strength. But like he's a good decision maker, especially for a young player. But even for like for a wing, like he has plus decision making and playmaking ability. It's not a lead. He's not Luka Doncic. No one's saying that. But like that's a strength that I think doesn't get talked too much about with him. Like just his decision making because I think it's it's a little bit underrated. Now I'm saying this on a day when out of traps he had two terrible decisions. But for the most part, 21 year old wing. Uh, who's not a point guard or not a primary ball handler. Like he's a plus decision maker, not exactly a connector, but um, I think that's worth highlighting. And I think it's something that stood out to me in the stretch. And that's why they've gone so much to Mitch and RJ pick and rolls. Yeah. I think the, the frustrating thing too, for me is that um, like, yeah, the Mitch RJ Mitch pick and roll has been great. And that's actually another thing too, with the, how we attack the zone is we were putting Randall in the middle of the zone a bunch. Um, and I actually don't 
think he's great in that in that spot. I think he tends to commit a lot of stupid turnovers in those spots um, or hesitate to, to get to the rim or make any decision. He just takes a while. I like RJ getting the, the ball in those spots because he's, you know, to your point, I think he's a better decision maker um, in contested areas than Julius. Like, I, like, for example, I think Julius clearly has a way better handle than uh, he has a better flash. He has better flashy moves than RJ. But in terms he's, of, less, like, he's more turnover prone too. Yeah, like in terms of just like functional decision making, I I would much rather have RJ in a congested. And that's area. fine. I mean, Julius is a four, right? So yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. The only fours that are really great at decision making are like, I mean, Draymond Green. But that is probably kind of the the he doesn't even play that primary ball handler role as much as people who like to shit on stuff make it out to be. So. um like yeah, that's 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 a fair thing to say. And Ar- like you see, like you see a guy like Reddish, he has all the tools. This is not the shit on Reddish, but I'm just saying that he is a typical young wing, um, and um, you know he he doesn't he, like his decision making and process is just not as good as RJ's. And I mean that that's for most young talented wings. Like that's the thing. Like it's such a like being that big six seven guy with ball handling skills and athleticism is such an attractive archetype for NBA execs. But you realize so much, so many of them take to their second contract to really figure out the decision-making part of it. Uh, Wiggins is a guy like watch Wiggins now on, on the Warriors. He doesn't get talked about as much because obviously he plays with one of the top two or three players in the world. Um, you know, he's playing uh, with with other guys who can do things with the ball in their hands. But Wiggins has been hugely important, and he's really come a long way. But it took him really six, seven years to get there. And RJ, whatever else you may feel like he's behind on in terms of shooting or finishing at the rim, he's ahead of the curve on, on that end, on, in that aspect of his game. Um, At least for a wing, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. I think his decision-making is good. I think he has good feel, like, drop-off passes and shit like that. Um, what, yeah, I just, I don't know. I, I actually thought RJ's game in a lot of ways was encouraging. I actually thought this, too, when I, because I didn't watch the, the Hawks game live, because I was on at the same time as the Bills were playing. So I watched the next morning, but, like, when I watched that game, you know, I saw... Wow, you game. chose the Bills over the Knicks, bro? Yeah, I know. Fucking uh, traitor. Yeah, I know. Uh, but it was like he what he was eight to twenty from the field in that game, and he missed a few like pull up jumpers. But I just liked that he did like he had the confidence to try those things. And I actually you know if there's one criticism I probably have of him today is that I wish he had just taken a few more. Like I wish he had tried some pull up jumpers a little bit because of how deep the Hornets' defense was sitting. I mean, if you watch their defense, they basically had like all five guys in the paint. Um, so on pull ups, I'll agree with that. But I will say, like, he's one of the few guys who's willing to just pull on a catch and shoot and be like, maybe I could beat this guy off the closeout, but fuck it. Like, he has a much better feel for that than even the better shooters, like Fournier. Even Grimes passed up a couple. Like, there was one play where IQ had an open three, passed it up, gave it to Grimes. Grimes gave it to Obi. Now, Obi was in the corner, and Obi hit it. But it's also like, if I have a choice between a wide-open Grimes three and an open and a wide open OB three, like you gotta shoot that, right? Yeah, I mean, I thought uh, RJ is one guy who doesn't seem to struggle with that decision as much, at least. Yeah. But off the dribble, like pull ups, I, I would agree with you. Yeah, I, I think quickly, quickly was his decision making on a few of those kickouts. It's like I don't know what is going on with him this year, and I like 
if there's like one thing that annoys me about him, it is he cannot just fucking catch the ball and shoot it anymore for some reason. He has to pump fake and then do a sidestep and then take it. And it's like you just he may, do you think he's getting coaching to like not be so trigger happy? I have no clue. I have no clue. I have a hard time believing that any coach is telling quickly, don't shoot the ball. When and Tibbs has said that in a press conference that he actually wants quickly to shoot more. But you look on Twitter and everyone's like, he's a chucker, right? So could it be kind of this inbuilt thing that like, I don't want to be viewed as a chucker? I mean, maybe, but it kind of doesn't matter because you just have to be able to take, you have to know when, when good shots are good shots and take them. Like you can't get a kick out from Julius yeah. open in the corner pump and then not take like you have to take that shot you got to take those shots and i know that his it hurts the team when you don't right That's yeah and i, I know that his percentage isn't that great this year i think he's like shooting 34 percent from three or something um but like i i'm i think he's a much better shooter than that raw number would indicate and i know that his catch and shoot numbers for have been weirdly down this year compared to i mean yeah he's pull-ups are actually been 35 percent. i think he's one of the best shooters in the league on pull-ups but yeah it's yeah, the I I would have to agree. I think um, whatever it is, he needs to kind of yeah. He's just gonna it. fucking shoot it. Like and and maybe and look, maybe some of it is you know he feels like if he shoots it too much, Tibbs might pull him or something. I don't know. And I don't. And to be quite honest, I think that's like that's that's like a weak thing. Um, I think that's like not a fair. Um. Uh, like I don't. I wouldn't put that on Tibbs. You know. Yeah, no, um, I agree. So I just I just think that he needs to get over it. He needs to get over it, and he needs to start playing um, with that type of like just just play, like just fucking shoot the ball. Because that's also part of what that's part of the difference between a ball mover and a ball stopper, right? Part of being a ball mover is making quick decisions, and if you're not making the right decision and passing on an open three when you're a good shooter is the bad decision. So that makes you a ball stopper, then, right? So. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Um, and so I just like I didn't like again. I don't think he had a bad game, and I want to make that very clear. Or I, I didn't think he had a. I don't think he had a good game, but I didn't. I, somebody told me that he that was one of Quickly's. Literally, somebody. I'm not joking. Somebody on Twitter told me that that was one of the worst games of Quickly's entire NBA career. He had so on. He was a mixed bag on defense. They went okay, after. I just, him. No, no, hold on. Shut the fuck up. Are you kidding wow. me? Yeah. We're not, we're, no, I'm not, no, no, no. That was not one of the worst games of his career. Oh, no, no, like, no, yeah, that, that's not what, I wasn't agreeing with that. What I'm saying is there were a couple of plays that stuck stuck out as negative. He also had a couple of turnovers, but, like, his turnovers were trying to make plays. Like, I didn't hate the process on most of them. Um, his defense, like, like, I think one thing he learned, and this is, I think, a lot of, a lot of confident on-ball defenders, Frank had this problem. There are some guys that you have to play off on. Like, so I think we've all remembered games where Frank would try to fucking press Rondo at 45 feet, and it just didn't gain anything. I quickly learned that lesson a bit with Ish Smith. Do I think like I don't think Ish Smith scored on him. Um, and and with Rozier, I think got an and one on him. Rozier's a good player, um, but yeah, that that was the worst game of Quickly's career. You're either saying he's had a perfect career, which is not the case. I think. The magic game from last season stands out as one that was very much uh, a tough game for quickly. Um, I thought it was it was a, it wasn't a good game. It wasn't a good game for him. But it wasn't a bad game. Yeah. So like he had a couple of bad defensive possessions. Rozier got him on an end one. Uh, he had also a couple of good defensive possessions. There were actually a couple where he got switched on to Miles and he didn't lock up Miles, but he funneled him the right way to help. 
um, and lived, you know, uh, which today against Miles Bridges was very much a win. Um, I thought his processing on offense, he generally made the right decision. Um, he didn't, he didn't get all the way to the rim a ton. I think the Hornets zone really prevented penetration though. So, um, besides RJ, no one was really able to get into the paint at will. Um, and when RJ and Randall did, like they had to often force tough shots, like the Hornets rotations are on point. This wasn't a, this wasn't some banner game for quickly. Um, but I thought he, you know, I thought he, his process was generally good. And I think, you know, yeah, once the shots, the thing is he's shooting mid forties from two this year, which for a player like him is quite good. It's just really his three point percentages have been down. Um, but once those start to fall, like it's it, like he hasn't even been affected by the new rules. He's still able to get to the line a good amount. Um, once those shots, so it really comes down to do you think those shots are going to fall? If they do, you're talking about um, someone who's even more efficient than he was last year. And I think the playmaking's improved. And overall, he was up and down on defense. I'll say that. Um, this wasn't like I have higher expectations of quickly on defense because I think he's a really good defender. But, uh, and there were some possessions that I felt like he was too up. He still needs to tighten up his technique a little bit against quicker guards. He has a tendency to, like, he, he's, he's still going to press Ish Smith in the backcourt, uh, which you don't need to do. He's still going to be a little bit upright when he doesn't need to. But, like, he's a plus defender already at a young age, and he showed that today. And, and there was never a lack of effort. There, wasn't, there weren't too many bad decisions, really. Um, he was fine. I, I thought, I thought, today was a good example of this is why I like Burks. I, I, I like Burks a lot, actually. I'm To the point where um, it feels like we're probably going to trade him or something and I feel like I'm going to hate it irrationally. But like, I really like Burks. So I want to make that very clear. But like, I just thought there were so many stretches of this game where you could see that you need to give him more point guard reps. And I don't say that because I thought he was playing great at point guard. It's actually the exact opposite. I thought there were stretches of this game where he brought the ball up and then, or not, he would just let RJ bring the ball up or just let Julius like, and it's like, no, no, like you have to fucking run the offense. That's your job. That's what you have to do in certain situations. And I thought he passed the buck on that a little bit today. Um, And that was not concerning, but it was, it was frustrating for me. Uh, And I think like, this is where it was a game where like you see this a lot with younger point guards, right? Where they're like, they don't know the balance of like getting your scores, the ball versus like, there's a difference between getting your scores, the ball to let them score and do their thing uh, versus like just deferring to them and not impacting, like not, not really setting them up. And I thought today was an instance of him not really setting them up and just, just letting them do their thing. Um, and I thought he needed to be better about that, but like, this is why, like, but like Burks was effectively doing the same thing, you know? And to me, there's like Burks for as good as he is, like what he's 31, 30, whatever the fuck he is. He's not growing. He's not developing. He's not going to get better at something, right? Like he's what he is. Well, that's, that's real. So this is still a new role for him though. And I, I do think he has improved as a point guard the last few games. Uh, so is your point more that he can't improve or that it's just it's unlikely to bridge the gap to where that's a more than just a in a pinch type I mean option. is Burks part of your future? Like realistically, he's thirty one. Like he's probably not somebody that you're 
pinning I think, much hopes on. Like he's a guy that like is absolutely functional in a rotation. Like is a, could be a really awesome rotation. Well, he's player. thirty. He'll be thirty one next year. But yeah. he's um, obviously he, like a very good rotation player, and I think that he could play at a high end in, in a in a high end rotation. And he has a game like that a, should age well. You would think, yeah, right? Of course, of course. But I'm saying like if you're the Knicks, like Burks is like Burks is a guy that you can't over prioritize or overvalue given where you are as a team right like you're still in the mode of you need to get those you still need more difference making offense driving bottom line players than than filling out your rotation brooks is a guy that can fill out rotations and do it excellently and do it in a way where he can give you multiple like value in a lot of ways because he's because of his versatility right um like if you're the Bucks, you should like w- want to have Burks on your team. If you're the Knicks, yeah, you can want to have Burks on your team. But if like Burks is the price of getting a younger starting lead guard or something like that, you should be willing to do that. You have to be willing to do that. That's kind of more my point. And my point is like, what is Burks's fucking ceiling here as a lead guard? And like, why are we? Why does it matter? Because to me, it is asinine. If unless you and then I, I mean if you think this I have to, have to test you first or something but if unless you think that Alec Burks is going to um, you know he he's singularly capable of of driving a high end offense as a primary lead guard then these reps that we're giving him are effectively like like if all he's doing anyway is just tossing it to Randall tossing it to RJ and kind of letting them do their thing and then every now and then running a high pick and roll for himself. Like we we're just much better off doing that with quickly in the same exact role. Like it doesn't change anything. It doesn't change any fucking thing. Um, it just makes a lot more sense to do that quickly than it does with Burks for the reasons I outlined because quickly is that an eight like, quickly shit is more important to your future in a variety of ways than Alec Burks is. That's just a fact. That's a fundamental fact. Um, and you know, he should be starting. He should be getting these reps with guys that you are hopeful of or believe are um, pieces of your future. You know, I presumably. Well, I mean, here, here's. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll ask you this then. Do you think Kemba's a piece of the next future? No, I would trade him in a second. I've made that very clear. Um, so even with kind of. I did think his play improved. You would still start quickly over him, even when he's back. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Um, Unless you think like, that the, only way, the better... only way, the only way I would be convinced of we're better off starting Kemba is if you think, and if you could convince me, and if there's evidence of this, that Kemba starting with that group unlocks some like significantly higher level of of collective play. Like if we start Kemba, there were flashes of that. There are flashes, but like he can't stay healthy. Like you cannot depend on Kemba Walker. He's not a dependable player at this point in his career. That's been the case. That was the case last year in Boston. That was why OKC, notorious for milking every bit of value they can get out of anything, um, waived him. They waived him. You know, they waived him because they didn't see the value in trying to rehab him. And do I think Kemba Walker can still be a valuable rotation player somewhere in the NBA? Yeah, I do, actually. Um, but, like... I think that could be here. I don't think he should go back to being on the bench here, but... But like, if he's like, I what's I don't I can't have a I don't want a starter that I can't depend on. You can't depend on him. And then you wouldn't start. You wouldn't play Rose with Kemba either. No, 
That's what I'm saying. The question I would, would I be, would do you start Rose, Rose and then have quickly and Kemba run the I, bench? I, neither. I would trade Kemba. I would trade Kemba. That has, this has been my belief for a while now, and it has nothing to do with the fact that I don't I, I don't think Kemba has been a great fit here. I don't think that's entirely his fault. Um, I also think that he clearly has showed signs of he's not cooked. He's not washed. He does have some he has game left. He can still score. He still has that culpability. And I think a lot of it had to do with he had to just kind of you know wake himself out of whatever the fuck was going on when he got here. Um and he showed that he still has that ability to score the ball. But like you know how much does that matter to us? Because unless you're telling me, well, if you if you empower Kemba and he's the lead guy uh, in that starting lineup or whatever, and that fundamentally changes what our ceiling is this year as a team, then, okay, then you start him and, and live with it. And I understand that, and I fully support it, because I'm not somebody who's like, well, if you don't win a championship, what's the point? Like, I, I don't think that. Like, if, you, if, if you're telling me that if we start Kemba and that gives us a way better chance of winning a start a, a, a playoff series or something like then, yeah, uh, do it. I don't care. That's fine. I'll start anybody on this team if I, if I thought that. Um, but, like, I don't see it. Uh, and I don't... It's very hard for me to be invested in a player who, you know, um, has not... He's not reliable in terms of his health. It's not like some weird... He's not like some mental case or something, right? That's like, you can't trust. But, like, he's just not healthy. So you can't trust him, his body. And, like, right now we're seeing it. The guy's been questionable now for, what, two weeks or something? Um, like personally, this is just my thought. I think that he probably needs, he probably has an injury that requires either rest or surgery, but that if he gets surgery, it's a season ending thing. So they, well, they, want- said, they did say with his knee, right. And neither of us are doctors to the chagrin of our South Asian parents, but, um, <laughs> it is a degenerative thing with his knee, right? I think that was one thing that was mentioned earlier. Yeah, I know that was like, I mean, that's always been the thought. I don't, I, I don't, yeah, I have no clue really about it. But I just know that, like, to me, it's very odd that he went from, he's got to work his conditioning up. He went from getting, like, like, it was like, oh, he might be out for a while. There was, like, a radio silence on it. And then there was, oh, yeah, no, he's just got to get his conditioning up. He'll be back soon. And then, you know, now we're at, like, two weeks of this shit. And he's nowhere to be found, at least in terms of, I mean, we see him on the, on the bench. Uh, but, like, you know, he, you're not seeing anything really else from him. So I don't know. It's just, it's very weird to me. Yeah, it's, um, it would depend to me on the player they're getting back. Um, that is one of the things that I'm worried about, about trading for some guard help. But I mean, who are the takers for Kemba Walker? I think the, the Lakers <laughs> come to mind as just a team that will trade for anyone that could offer some positive help. Um, but I mean, they're probably not going to trade like THD. I mean, would you want Talon Horton Tucker for Kemba and like a um, first? Sure. Uh, I, if I could just trade Talon Horton Tucker to some other team for an expiring contract. But his value seems to have tanked. Like, I just wonder, can you get, cause I do think he helps that starting lineup for all of the reasons you mentioned with Burks that it's not working. And, um, you know, and, and then that allows you to keep Rose and Quickly off the bench. You can still close with Quickly over, or Rose um, over Kemba. Um, but I, I, I think that against good defenses um, and good teams with foot speed, like we need that player, and we can't. I mean, to, we can't depend on Kemba. We can't depend on Rose either. And I don't think the team is in the position to 
as much as I think he should be getting point guard minutes over Alec Burks, I don't think the team is in the position to give 36 minutes of lead ball handler duty to quickly. So that's where Kemba kind of fits in, right? I think his minutes should be reduced, but um, it's like what Tibbs thought Elf brought last year. I think Kemba actually does, right? Where he gives you the guy who can kind of help the, the offense bridge the gap during those times effectively um, before you play, you know, kind of your best players. Yeah, I mean, if that's if that's how they want to use it, that's fine. I just, again, I, I don't know why we keep doing this. Why can't we just play our best players? Like, is that not allowed? And why do I want to waste time with a guy who doesn't help me long-term in any capacity, really? Like, you know, I just, I don't see it. Like, I, I just don't understand why we cannot start quickly. Like, what exactly are we losing if we do that? Like, well, because- the, the argument would be he doesn't attack the rim as much. But um, Kemba, but Kemba, Kemba does more than quickly. Let's let's well, be honest. What is he? But no, but like, not you say that, but like, I mean, how much? What is the difference? How many shots at the rim is Kemba Walker taking? And, yeah, and also, it's and probably twice as many, and on a on a low denominator. But the other part would be, as if what if there's one thing we've seen, this offense is best when RJ is the one attacking the rim, right? Or Randall, right? And so you need someone who can space the floor, who can play with high tempo. And then if they're a better defender, and like, uh, so yeah, I will mention this, um, you know, acquaintance, I suppose, of the pod, Tommy D responded to it. So Tom Piccolo had a tweet about, you know, Quickly's effectiveness as the lead ball handler, even where he's not playing with Rose. Tommy D had a snarky response about, well, isn't RG really the, the point guard in those? And it's like, well, you're arguing two of one of two things. You're either arguing that RJ should be the starting point guard, right? Yeah. Or you're arguing that you can start quickly at that position and even someone who is an incomplete young player can be your lead ball handler in that position and you're outscoring teams, right? So it's like who gives a shit if what he what his like that and the fans of the pod like I won't I won't um maybe I'll I'll plug this at the end, but Jack Conley had a great article. It's like the team plays better when he's on the floor in that position as the one. Now you can say, is he handling the ball? Is he, well, is he John Stockton? Is he Russell Westbrook getting, whatever they, like, do we score more points than the other team? That's all that should matter. Um, and that does happen with quickly a lot. Um, and to the extent that I, I think it happens more often when he plays with Randall and RJ, because he does have weak, like he can't get all the way to the rim. But that matters less when RJ and Randall can handle that road. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's what makes the case for you. I think with Kemba, he does add a little bit more of that that I understand playing him. Um, but, but I think at some point you also have to talk about the, the value that quickly gives you on defense, right? In a game like today, Kemba wasn't helping us win, for example. Yeah. Um, I mean, because- and maybe he would because he just got like supernova, but like, that's only that's, oh, that's the only case, right? And but he would have been cooked by Rozier, right? Like he can't, he could. Who is he going to guard on this team? That was one thing that was abundantly clear that the Knicks had trouble matching up, and Kemba would have Especially exacerbated with that. That's the the problem is having him and Fournier in the same lineup yeah. is very hard to cover for both of them. Um, yeah, so I think I mean I think what could work if you want to start Kemba is I, I what I wouldn't wanted to have wanted to do for a while is Kemba, um, RJ Burks is your backcourt, and then. Your four or five is just Randall and Mitch, and then your back, your your second string would be Rose, IQ, Fournier. I don't think Rose is quite as much of a liability on defense as 
Kemba, so you can get away with playing him with Fournier. Um, and then that, that second unit just has more ball movement and pace, which should help Fournier too. So that's probably how I'd play this. But I think, to your point, there is an argument that just start IQ and say, fuck it. Um, especially if you know, you're looking towards the future. Yeah, I just, I, I just, I'm so frustrated by. There's always a reason. There's always a reason why we can't start quickly, or why this guy is better, or why that guy is a better option. It's never like we can never just just start him and then try like and see where it happens. I, I don't understand why. And the fact of the matter that there are like Knicks fans that constantly justify this shit drives me absolutely nuts. Like, well, I saw just, someone say, "Well, uh, quickly had a lower field goal percentage than RJ last year." It's like, yeah, it's almost like threes count more than two, right? It's like. No, it's uh, the the kind of reasons that are used to denigrate him, and it, it's partly. It's, I mean, it is largely because he doesn't fit. Like guys who don't fit your preconceived notions of what a certain player is supposed to look like, are always going to get undervalued by a certain segment of basketball analysts, and that's what we're seeing. Yeah, and I just think that like you need to like what is what exactly like we're a five hundred team, okay? We're, we're a five hundred team, and I, I, I it's worth mentioning. We're largely a 500 team in many ways because of how how good quickly and these other bench guys have been. Okay, it's not exactly like the starters have been doing yeoman's work out here this year. Okay, let's be fucking honest, right? Like, yeah, it's great that the starters have gotten their shit together recently, but like, and they didn't today, by the way. Uh, but recently they have. But let's not like rewrite the season and pretend that you know they've been doing the lion's share work because they absolutely haven't. The reason this team is 500 is because of the bench and. Guess who's played the most minutes off the bench quickly because he's been the most consistent. Um, and so, hasn't gotten hurt, but yeah, yeah, hasn't gotten hurt. I wouldn't and, say I, he's I, our best bench player, but yeah, he has been. He hasn't gotten hurt, and all of the bench players have been healthy. So yeah, he's the second best bench player. That's what yeah, I'm saying. It does. Yeah, whatever it is. Like so, uh, it's it's just a ridiculous con- conversation because it's like, well, you know, we can't. He you can't do it. He can't. Why can't he do it? Like I don't understand. Like I don't know. I, I really don't understand why we always have to like. Well, he can't be this. He can't be that. Like, I. Well, it's it's. I mean, the the downside is when you do ask him to create. When he doesn't get to the hole, it can kind of submarine possessions. But we don't. But we have never actually just given him. Here's ten games. Go start ten games. Be the point guard for ten games. Like we can sit here and say he can't do it. But he, I mean, he hasn't gotten an actual chance to do it. We have never given him ten games in a row. We never even given him like five games in a row. Forget ten. Just here, you're the starting point guard. Go. Like we've never done that. We've actually found multiple excuses not to do it. Oh, uh, Elf is the the rim pressure and the bench is too good. Oh, well, we signed Kemba and oh, Derek right. Yeah, I would say Burks over IQ. Or Kemba over IQ is not nearly as egregious as that, right? I think I think Burks over IQ is egregious. Like I, I think it's as egregious, egregious as Alfred Payton. It's, it's equally, yeah. It's it's it maybe even more ridiculous actually in some ways because he's not a point guard. He's never played point guard, but he doesn't and, actively compromise the space that it's, Bert, it's like, right. But it, it is not about even. that. It is about the fact that you told this kid quickly, all right, over the summer, go work on your point guard skills. You want to develop his point guard. He played point guard at Summer League. You praised the work he did. You praised his work ethic. You praised all these things about him. Um, and then you get some injuries, which we knew were always, was always going to be a risk, right, with Rose and, and Kemba. Like, we always knew that was a risk that these guys would get injured. Not a big deal. Um, and instead of just playing him, who has played more point guard minutes for you prior to this switch, in the, or the last two years, who's played more point guard minutes for you than Burks has, 
you start Burks in the starting lineup over quickly, yeah, I, I think that is it's it's not as detrimental to the Knicks on the court as Albert Bain was, but it, it is as it is insulting. If I was quickly, I would feel insulted by that. I genuinely feel that. I would feel insulted that you are starting somebody out of and I don't care about the justification anymore. Oh well you know we want to keep the bench and we want to like shut up. I don't care. I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck that you want to keep the bench. Because guess what? You know what you, you know who was also really key to the bench unit? You might have heard of this guy. Alec fucking Burks. That's his key to the bench unit also. And last time I checked, he can come in off the bench and do the same shit he does that he's always been doing. So I don't understand there's not a single good argument to me beyond you just think Burks is a flat out better point guard than quickly. That's the only argument you can make to me to justify that decision. That's it. That's the only... Like, there's actually probably a more reasonable argument you could have convinced me of with Elf than you could with Burks. Because with Elf, it was like, nobody ever got hurt. So we were just like, well, I guess if it's a horror game, just go with it. And like, you know, when you start winning games all of a sudden, that makes a lot more... That's that's a lot easier to buy into. Um, this, you can't make any... Like, what is the argument for Well, they've been winning games of late, right? They're five of the last seven with Burks at starting point guard. I mean, and how many of those games has Burks been a net positive player? Well, that was the same arc with Alfred, right? That, right, but that, and, but that's my, but at least Alfred was like well, actually. No, no, no. Alfred a was a, a way, a, way more net negative player. Of course, um, of course. I'm just saying, but at least like, like if our we, argument for quickly is that you really, when you play him with four other guys, generally that team tends to outscore the other opponent. If that happens with Burks, or at least to the extent where it doesn't kill your chance of winning, um, you know that's kind of what's what's the reasoning behind it. I would imagine, and I think I think the biggest thing is like the size. Like Tibbs likes his size. Um, he, I think he Burks actually out of Kemba quickly and uh, Kemba quickly and Burks. Burks might actually be the best at. He doesn't always get all the way to the rim for a layup, but in terms of like he gets a lot of foul calls and those kind of things. He might actually be the best at that, so you can kind of see the outlines of it. Um, like I don't, I don't think it's egregious. I just, I wouldn't personally do that, but I can understand why Tibbs is doing that. I think it's egregious. I don't see how you can like. He's literally. I want to see. I'm going to look this up. I want to see the last time Alec Burks played most of his minutes at point. I want. I. I if that's ever happened in his NBA career, I'll be shocked. The Sixers traded for him for that reason when he was in Golden State. That was because they just didn't. That's also because they had like that. that (laughs) And it didn't work out. Uh, Yeah, I know that. They they okay. This is the last time he played most of his. He hasn't played more than twenty percent of his minutes at point since twenty fifteen sixteen on Utah, and they traded him two years after that, and he only played seven hundred ninety seven minutes that year. So, like to me. in Utah, first career in Utah, right? They did. They did not play. They played him at point guard for nine percent of his minutes total in his entire time in Utah. That that encompasses eight seasons and nearly eight thousand minutes. In Golden State, he played point guard for eight percent of his total minutes. In Cleveland, one percent. In Philly, five percent. In New York, he's playing ten percent of his minutes during his entire time here. Ten percent of his minutes a point. He's playing. 20% of his minutes a point guard this year after playing 1% of his minutes a point guard last year for the Knicks. Like, that is ridiculous. I'm sorry, that is fucking absurd. Because, you know, and the other reason why it's absurd, quickly was the motherfucking backup point guard to start last season. 
He was the guy that you were like, well, he's going to be the backup point guard. And we did, and we changed that because we got Derrick Rose, which made fucking sense because Derrick Rose is really good. And so it made sense that okay, and and quickly's versatility, like it was, it was, it's a great, it's a they're a great pairing, right? There's no, there's no, there's nothing wrong with that at all, you know. Um, so like I have no problem with that. But when you have injuries and then you won't play him at point because fucking God knows what reason, that bothers the shit out of me. And I think it sends such a shitty message to him. And I think Tibbs is very lucky. And this organization is very lucky that guys like Quickly and guys like Obi, who they they don't, at least they haven't so far, they have not gotten pissy about stuff like this, and they haven't let it affect their uh, work ethic, demeanor, um, their commitment, any of those things, and it hasn't become a story in the press or anything like that. Because, you know, it, it is, I think there'll be a lot of other young guys in the league um, who would take something like that and and be vocal about their displeasure with it? So I think I think it is a slap in the face, and I think I think we're lucky that the kids that we seem to have drafted, um, are you know they they can handle it. I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I think it's starting to get to Obi a little bit, but um... oh, it's definitely getting damn. You can see it now with him. He's like dying to score the ball every time he touches it. But I mean, on the on the other side, that quickly did get twenty eight minutes today, and part of that was in garbage time, um, which it was. I mean, I think it was encouraging to see that uh, you know quickly or Tibbs wanted to get Deuce in, but he left quickly in, so he clearly sees him as someone who like it's beneficial to get reps to. But I think there's things they want to see from his game in terms of growth, and fairly or unfairly, I think. Um, you can see what those are, right? Um, he does pick up his dribble too often. Um, you know, he does have a tendency to sometimes dribble too much, uh, waiting for to set up pick and roll and those kind of things. So you see that, right? Um, but um, but it's worth. It, this was another game, and this is padded by garbage time. But the starters were a lot worse from a plus minus perspective, at least, than the bench. So um, yeah, like again, padded by garbage time, but you know. The bench well, was probably even, even before garbage time. Just even before garbage time, I think quickly was like a minus four or something, and whatever is minus. In a game, they were losing by like twenty. So yeah, yeah, and like quickly, and Obi was like a plus three or two. Or, it doesn't. Really, but like they, they were not the reason they were down. I mean, they, they were also the reason they didn't make a comeback. You can say that. But like, I mean, what are we talking about here? We're saying that it's it's the bench guy's fault that we didn't make a twenty point comeback. So like, what's the expectation? So now their expectation is so much higher than. The guys that start over them. Well, they, just, I mean, they didn't have to face Miles Bridges as often, right? That would be the argument. Uh, I mean, I think most of his. I mean, from what quickly I mean, Miles, is a different story. I'm saying the bench as a whole. But yeah, yeah, I mean, Obi did it for sure because he's not allowed to play against starters, right? Um, but yeah, I, I I hate doing this because I it just comes across as like I hate Tibbs and I'm blaming Tibbs, but like I do hate this thing about Tibbs. Um, I think he's actually probably like I think. This season's been pretty hard for him, uh, and not. I, I don't think you know. I don't think you can say that like the reason RJ and Randall, all these guys, have been up and down is just because of Tibbs. But like, has he contributed to some of that? Sure, but like, I mean, Randall wasn't even up and down, right? He was just terrible for a lot of the season. So I, I don't know what to do with that. Um, and I think it's been hard for him to negotiate. And I, I think sometimes, like, I mean, not sometimes, you're gonna make mistakes along the way, right? Like, you if if your team is so inconsistent. 
like you're always kind of playing whack-a-mole right you're trying to figure out like where the next problem is or what you have to do and so like there's part of that but like this burks thing for me at point like i that's just one it's a i I can't I, i can't accept that i cannot explain it to myself and I can't pretend that I think it's okay because I don't. I think it's terrible. Um, and it's it's a it's a decision that, for me, if I were in the front office, it would be a very big. That's like one you file away, um, and and you consider that uh, when you're sitting at the end of the year and you're kind of just evaluating things. Like, do I think that's that's not like a decision I would say should get him fired? But like, if the season went off the rails, right? Um, then I think you would look at a decision like that and be like, well, I mean, the season went off the rails and why didn't you try more of this? Why did you do that? Um, it hasn't gone to that, obviously. So we're okay in that sense. But, um, I mean, it just, it's, it's like, it's a concern in the sense of, I'm just not sure like that. And then the stuff with OB and not going small at various points and things like that are the, are those are the decisions that you file away and make you wonder like okay Tibbs is a good coach but is he the coach that's going to maximize this roster or is he a coach that is just going to a bridge yeah is he is he a, a bridges of miles if, if you will wow. sorry uh but yeah miles it's like, of it's, development it's a it's a metaphor <laughs> uh but yeah it's like is he is he the guy that's going to raise the ceiling or is he a guy that just lays the foundation and eventually you know runs its course and you get to replace him. I think it probably ends up being the latter, but you know, again, we're not there. We're not there yet. So uh, we'll see what happens. I just, it's just really frustrating for me. Um, and, and like even, you know, Grimes, obviously um, a little bit different, but like it's encouraging that he plays Grimes as much as he does. And he's openly talking. Who about loves him. Grimes? I mean, I, I do think yeah. as much as we get upset about like some of his personnel decisions, I think he really does like the young guys a lot on this team, particularly Quinn Grimes. Yeah, and I also will say this: like, I'm annoyed more at his like um, unwillingness to change lineups at times more so than I am. Like, I don't think he's a bad development coach. That's like one thing I don't like. I've seen. I know people think that at times, but like, I actually think he's a really good development coach. Um, I think there's value in giving guys very defined structure and then building out from there. And I think he's really good at that. But what annoys me is like, if you have been ostensibly telling quickly, like you want to develop as a point guard and then you have a chance to start him a point guard, but then you don't, what do I, I don't know what to do with that. You know, that's just like a weird thing for me to figure out. Um, but like in terms of individual player development, I mean, it's hard to look at what we've done since he's been here and say that, he doesn't have at least I mean, he's he's at least a neutral like he's at least I mean I think he's probably a positive it's it, it's like it's funny because I think he's good for individual development but he may not be the coach who figures out how to like like he can't like quite lean into the good work he's doing with them all the way in some ways in so like in some senses um because I do think like RJ quickly Obi Grimes this year um I do think that like he's done good things for them on an individual level, even if we're collectively as a fan base, like, can you give them more minutes? Can you try more things with them? Can you play them in different lineups? Um, that That's the part that's frustrating, but you know, individual, I mean, and, and this goes back to Chicago, individual development for him, development for him. Like 
he's had a lot of young guys that have developed well under him, right? Obviously, MVP Derrick Rose, which, okay, you don't want to give that one to him because Derrick Rose is such a singular talent. Fine. Um, you got Butler, you got Gibson, you got Noah. Uh, you know, you have Luol a Luol Deng. Yeah, Luol Deng. Uh, hell, even a guy like Miritich, who, you know, didn't play a ton for him, but, like, he did play him, like, a decent amount. And I know he was an older rookie, but, like, you know, the, like, it's not easy to just, you don't accidentally develop that many guys, is kind of my point. So, even if there are limitations to him as a overall coach to get you over the hump um and i think those concerns are real i don't think it's fair i i would i would tend to think i i tend to believe that he is still a good coach he was still and he still is a good coach um for a team that's still kind of establishing some a baseline a foundation to work from yeah we'll have to see um i mean in terms of you know do you think the front office should be looking to make his job easier by removing. I mean, is that an argument for a Burks trade? Or, I mean, how do you see? Because the Knicks really, with Wayne Seldon gone now, there's no one in the rotation <laughs> who you wouldn't want. So, I'm, I'm serious. Like, I know, I know, I know. It's yeah. just trying to think of like Wayne Seldon as. But besides, it's an odd position because he was really the only guy who you wouldn't expect to be able to handle minutes, right? Jericho Sims is a close second, but we've seen him do well. Like Jericho Sims is probably better than say Norville Pell was, and that's probably understating it. I think Jericho Sims, in his three minutes today, I think I think he did make a couple of nice rotations. He got um, basically horrible luck and facialed on a on a closeout on Miles Bridges when he was shooting NBA jam flam jam flams out of his ass. But um, like they have fourteen guys you could see as like yeah, I could see this guy getting rotation minutes especially at the wing and, and reddish obviously factors into that now. I mean, what do you think? But the thing is you don't want to consolidate for the sake of consolidating and get 60 cents on the dollar. Right. Um, you know, what are the kind of moves that you see as being possible? I mean, to me, I'll, I'll start this out. There are three guys who are untouchable for anything besides a bona fide star. And when I'm talking about bona fide star, I'm not talking to Fox. I'm talking Donovan Mitchell level. And that's RJ, IQ, and yes, Grimes. I think what he, even today, what he was able to show, like, I mean, his defense changed the game. They really got into it. The only time, yeah, the the only time we looked like, like, I, I, it's funny because I did push back on you saying that our defense wasn't great, but like, it wasn't disruptive. And it was only disruptive when we had IQ, yes, but most, like, Grimes, you could see they were uncomfortable. Guys are uncomfortable putting the ball on the he floor. He was constantly that. getting his hand on guys' balls. Pause. Um, but he was constantly getting his hand on the balls. And, um, you know, he just, um, yeah, like he has, he's the, he has the, uh, you know, he has the field to be in the right spot. And he doesn't gamble a ton, but his gambles are very calculated. And he makes plays on defense. He has the ability. I don't know if I would say I think he can be an all NBA defender because those are, those are guys that are freaks. You like the only, like they're either guys like Lugens Dort, um, who's just again he's a freak. Like or they're just these oversized wings like Kawhi, right? So that might be tough. But as high a ceiling as you can have, be besides that, he has that, and you add that that he also has a ceiling to be like. I don't see why he can't be a Joe Harris type shooter or one of the best five to ten shooters in the league. That's like I'm not t- sorry. That's I'm not trading him. For anything less than a star, um, would you trade not, him for God? Uh, probably, but <laughs> God is no star, though. 
Um, I'm a star like a motherfucking asterisk. Um, and then the other two are RJ and IQ. Uh, I think there's people that think, I saw someone say we should trade IQ and the Mavs 2023 first back to them for Brunson. Not only would the Mavs say no, um, I think that, I mean, there's like definitely a concerted effort to just shit on IQ. We're going to talk about that, but um, yeah. Beyond, the thing is this, right? Even if you don't think he's going to be an on-ball guy immediately, uh, his, he has other outs to being like a very valuable player. Like he has the ability, I think, to be an elite defender one day. And then if you combine that with his offense and that he can actually play both spots, right? You can play him next to a ball dominant player you can play him next to less ball dominant players, even a guy like RJ, and have positive lineups. That's valuable. And then, and then of course, RJ, especially given what he's shown, but uh, you know, at probably the most important position in the league, at the wing, um, you know, a jack of all trades with crazy work ethic. But other than that, I think anyone is fair game. How would you see the Knicks? And if you disagree with that can't trade list for less than like a Donovan Mitchell type, let me know. Um, Fox is certainly one person on the table, but you know, what are some of the trades or opportunities you see? Yeah. I mean, I, I actually tend to agree with that. Not because like, like are there players between Fox and Donovan Mitchell who are yeah, better that's than quickly or better than Grimes? Yeah. hundred percent. I'm not like, and Fox is better than quickly right now too. It's just a question of, um, you know, is Fox 15 times better? <laughs> you know, that's well, the salary. Is, is, is Fox actually a good fit with, the guys that you yeah and is at and again quickly is making 2.7 million dollars a year for the next three years i don't even care about the money i think i don't i literally throw out the contracts and yeah like you could obviously yes sure if you want to say you trade quickly for fox i get it fine but like the question isn't is quickly better than fox the question really what you should be asking yourself is is fox the a good enough because because here here's the other thing right the people that are like really want to get De'Aaron Fox here are like, yeah, I'll give up quickly. I'll give up Obi. I'll give up like three first round picks. And it's like, okay, so now at this point, you're talking about like you would be out two of your own first at least and probably Dallas, uh, the Dallas pick, right? Let's say that's the trade. So two Knicks first, the Dallas, uh, Dallas pick. And you'd give up IQ and Obi. You give up Burks and, uh, you know, fucking, let's say Fournier since Obi likes him. So that'll make the trade a little bit more. Uh, a lower price. Um, okay, so you just did that trade. So now, like, what? I mean, I mean, so your your team now is more or less built around Fox, RJ, and Randall. Like, I mean, what does Fox do exactly that is so beneficial for those guys? Because to me, like, I feel like I'm watching some different player from everybody else, or not from everybody else, but from a lot of people when I see the like. We got to get the Aaron Fox here propaganda because I was just looking up today on drives this year. De'Aaron Fox passes on twenty six percent of drives. RJ Barrett, don't don't you think sometimes it's fair to say RJ Barrett has blinders on when he drives? Uh, sure. Like it's better. It's better, but like there are times, obviously, where he just kind of like runs into a brick wall, right? Sure. He passes on thirty two percent of his drives. RJ Barrett, like. He's a he's the the big thing with Fox the the oh he's this playmaking guard who's gonna get everybody involved and activate things and blah and like sure you can if you want to say that the the Knicks are just so uniquely uh, designed to maximize his talent and skill set okay but like I just feel like that's doing a lot of 
everything like i think that's a lot of i want this guy to be the the who i think he is versus like actually looking at what is he what is De'Aaron fox and what De'Aaron fox is is a talented talented player who is very flawed he's shooting like 24 percent from three even for his career so like even if you want to say that's an aberration i think for his career he's like 32 percent from three um he's a really good finisher he's a decent mid-range shooter terrible he's a really good finisher who gets to the rim at volume right so there is actually just an interesting tweet from b-ball index and they treat they they tweeted about the top um, ten players in terms of rim frequency, and Fox is I believe eighth. Is he seventh on that list? And then they tweeted so that the guys on the list are Westbrook, Ja, uh, Shea, Gilgis Alexander, Giannis, Brogdon, Alperin Shangun, Fox, Tatum, um, Anthony Edwards, and James Harden. Out of those ten. Three players at a D or D minus Tatum, Edwards, and Harden. Um, so it's really hard. James Harden has a D in terms of finishing at the rim, despite being top ten and getting there. Um, then you had Shangun with a C minus, and then you had four guys, and then Westbrook had an F. LOL. Westbrook gets the rim more than anyone else and had an F in finishing there. Uh, insert Twitter laughs, and then you have four guys who had an A minus or better. So Ja and SGA had an A minus. Giannis, who remains an alien, had an A plus despite being fourth in the frequency. Fox was at an A, so you can say he doesn't pass out of drives enough. But like that's usually usually the reason he's doing that is because he's generating a high quality look at the rim, right? Um, but then shouldn't he be a he lot does, more efficient? He's at the rim. He's very efficient. The bigger right, problems are. That, I mean that, but that's not the like that can't be the whole game. You know, like that, that can't be the whole game because it's not like you're a point guard. You can't be like, what is the last point guard to, to be a terrible outside shooter and help a team win a championship? A league guard. Well, okay. Westbrook is the closest to that. Um, I would say, so a terrible outside shooter who helps a team win a championship. I mean, we've, the Warriors are kind of going to skew that a little bit. Um, Like even take the Warriors out. Does Rajon Rondo count as the Lakers point guard? I mean, he shot 40% or whatever the fuck from three in that run, though. On, like, two attempts. Like, I would say he's a pretty bad outside shooter. Yeah, but, I mean, he, he also didn't start. Like, he, he it was what? Like, I mean, he wasn't the point guard. LeBron was the point guard. Let's be realistic. Tony Parker wasn't a good outside shooter. Uh, and the thing good is this, right shooter. Fox is – so Fox is terrible. The reason why Fox's three-point percentage is so bad is that he takes a lot of bad pull-ups, which – now, can you coach that out of him, or can you coach him to limit that is a fair question. But it's a little bit – there are a lot of parallels to John Wall in his game. I think Wall was a better passer, but Fox was a great passer in college. How much of that is San Antonio – or sorry, Sacramento, who knows. But he's shooting – last year was 39%. I think he's 39% on pull-ups last year. I think he has a pretty good percentage – sorry, not pull-ups. He's been 39% on catch and shoot. Um close to that the last two years. So he's pretty good. Like if you just throw the ball out to him, this is not Alfred Payton. Like he can, he's, he's a pretty efficient catch and shoot guy, but nearly half of his shots are pull-ups and he's not, he's a very bad pull-up three-point shooter. Right. But if you can have him play off RJ and Randall in such a way, again, he's the only guy that can attack. He's the only guy can, that can really like even Halliburton is better at attacking a set defense. Right. So, and Davion Mitchell isn't there yet in terms of being an on-ball guy. So, if he was in that role where he could play off Randall or RJ, that would be the argument, right? 
yeah, I just it, it. I think at some point the volume of catch and shoot threes with him is just not significant. Um, and it's like, I I mean like I've weird I've weirdly watched a lot of Kings games this year. Um, and I think some of that is because he's a shitty player off the ball. He doesn't try to be. He's not active. He doesn't try to make himself open. Um, he's not. And that was something guys. that people have said about Wall, and even when Wall was putting up good shooting numbers. Yeah, he had like I think the people have talked about it, right? He had the he moves less than anyone else in the league off ball, like first percentile doesn't cut. So if you're not seeking out shots, if it's just when the defense leaves you complete alone, then that's a different story. So that's worth mentioning. Yeah, no, it it it, it just like I I I've watched him so much this year, and I'm like, yeah, is some of it just weird Sacramento stuff for sure, for sure. I mean, they're playing lineups where it's like, you know, the best defender is Davian Mitchell, who's a rookie. Like, you know, what what are you supposed to do with that? Um, I, it's just like, it's really hard for me to understand. I mean, if this guy, like, you know, there are people that are like, oh, he's much better than Randall. Why? I mean, I don't even, like, Randall is had a pretty bad year. But, like, what is the argument that he's better than Randall? I don't, I don't quite get it. Like, it's just that he scored 25 points last year. You know, because if that's if that's the argument, like Julius was much better than him last year, um, and there's well, the argument would be for me is that he's more efficient than Julius this year. I believe he was last year too. Uh, even I mean, you can. The thing is this, right? He hasn't. He's still at a fifty three percent, which is not good. Fifty three percent true shooting, but that is on the Kings, where he's asked to do a lot. And that is still he's higher not, than... though. That's my thing is he's like he's playing off the ball right now. He's playing off a of Halliburton. So it's not like they're well, just, I mean, who, it's not like he's out the of the two of them who can actually get into the paint and make a defense scramble, right? Halliburton does a lot of ball handling, but is still mostly on the perimeter, right? So I mean, if you look at the efficiency, Randall, who is a big and in theory should have better opportunities, is at fifty-one percent true shooting. Um, Fox is taking a larger percent of his shots unassisted both from three and from two-point range. Um, and, I mean, you might want to denigrate. I mean, it's fair to criticize his passing, but he's still a better passer than Randall. Um, I think the bigger question for me is... Wait, like, wait, wait, no, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. He's a better passer than Randall if you're just taking it as... And he has been for most of his career. He's been worse this year. Yeah, but, 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 but that's not the comparison. The comparison has to be, he has to be better as a passer for his position than Julius is for his position. And I don't think he is. Uh, I mean, before this season, I would like last year, I thought he was, he did a good job passing the ball. He was a great passer in college. Like after his rookie, like this year he has, his play has deteriorated like for sure. But even in a down year, like he's still more efficient than Randall, and I think he's he. I think and you know I think he's also point guards tend to have lower efficiency. Guards tend to have lower efficiency because you don't have as many shots set up for you. You're not as big. It's tough to be that efficient at that at that size, uh, especially you don't have a lot of guys who can set you up. So I don't know. I mean, I, I think that um, it, I think the bigger thing for me is again contract. In the fact that Randall is probably a better defender than Fox. No, not probably. He's a better defender than Fox. Um, like, Randall, Randall is at least an average defender, if not a plus. Um, so, I think that... But th- I think there are real arguments, right? Particularly centered on efficiency. And um, you can say for his position, like, for being a four, Randall's a better passer. But also, he's only... Like, that only shows out when he's asked to be the primary ball handler or the primary option on offense. 
So if you consider that for being the primary option, who's the better passer, I think it still goes to Fox, right? I mean, yes. I just like, what am I doing with that? I mean, does it matter that he's a better passer as a primary? Because is he actually good enough in that capacity? I don't think so. I don't even think there's an argument for it, to be honest. He can't shoot. But the argument no is he's 23. And but like, he can't and shoot. He hasn't I don't been think, able don't... to be in a functional organization. That's a cop-out. That's a cop-out. I'm sorry, that's a cop-out. Has Julius Randle been in some awesome organization his entire career? Has Darius Garland been in a functional franchise his entire career? Or is he just good? No, but, but I mean, not everyone develops the same way, but I mean, you would have, a lot of these criticisms would have been leveled at Zach Levine before this year. A lot of these criticisms but were Levine leveled was at... actually efficient. That, that could never be levied at Levine. His worst efficiency was like what? He's like, but he's a terrible passer. That was, and he was a terrible defender, right? That to me is an argument of, well, Zach Levine is not conditioned to be a primary ball handler initiator on a contending team. And I still think that's 100% true. Um, I, I don't really see why that, I, if anything, this year should strengthen that argument because they added more playmaking around him. Who's, they the added guys to, who's the best player on that team? I think Levine is the best player on the team, but I don't think he does most of the ball handling. DeRozan does. I'm I mean, that's a fact. Just because I think, no, I, I, even if I was to accept that, and I'm not sure I do, Levine is causing more of the... Levine is the one who scrambles, who creates advantages more than DeRozan. DeRozan yeah, who, is more who, likely who, who to take the mid-range shot. What? At the end of games, when they're running their offense, who gets the ball? I think that's at least a function of how much attention Levine draws. Like who? Like if you're, if when you're us, I'm more scared of Levine than DeRozan. I'm sorry. Maybe that's a bias. Maybe I'm just denigrating the mid-range game. And DeRozan kills us. I'm not going to deny that. Um, but I like on ball. Who do you actually think is more dangerous? I mean, in terms of what though, you're talking about passing. In, as a passer, DeRozan's so much better. Marginally, I don't like. No, significantly better. better. Significantly better. Like not even close. They're not even playing the same sport as passers. Look at their numbers. It's not just the numbers, though. Like Levine draws way more attention. He can attack he, really three levels, not, whereas he's not an efficient passer out of it at the same level that like DeRozan last year had. He was a seven. He was seven assists to two turnovers last year. Last, if you look at his time in San Antonio. His playmate, like it is ridiculous, actually. If you're if you're asking me, to, yeah, no, he he did improve as a passer, uh, that in San Antonio for sure. Levine you're is a better me who I'm going to build, but like score. I don't think that outweighs the gravity that Levine has at three levels, which makes his reads easier. Like you don't but have if to. His be, reads are easier. It's, what does it mean? Like he's not. He's a higher turnover player, and he's a lower assist player. Yeah, so the high point, point generating, like when he handles the ball, that score. offense is really good. As a scorer, but he's not the guy playing as a scorer and who can make enough plays off of it to make their offense great. Right, but he's not the primary guy. He's not. He's not the guy that's initiating the offense. DeRozan initiates the offense. Now, if you want to say that, like, like Kawhi was effectively, you know, he he wasn't the point guard of those Raptors teams, Raptors teams, but he was the he was the primary scorer, offensive weapon, whatever you want to put. If you want to say Levine's the primary scorer, offensive weapon that they have, I will agree with that. And I actually think he's gotten a bit under. I think that's more important than "quote unquote" point guard designation. But it um, matters if De'Aaron Fox is going to be the point. Like he's being acquired in this scenario to be the point guard. To uh, be that's the not my. My thing would be he's being acquired to be the number one option and allow Julius to be more a roller, and allow um, and give a primary ball handler who could carry a load and run the offense for you. So we'd still need to find a point guard. 
Um, I don't. I'm like I'm not as married to the idea, I guess, of like a traditional point guard. Maybe that's it. But I think that like you need someone who you can put the ball in their hands and they're going to elevate the rest of the team's play. And they're going to be able to both by creating for themselves and then by drawing the defense's attention. Well, I mean, what is the evidence others. that Darren Fox does that? He was in Sacramento and he's 23. And yeah, like, but the thing is, look at how many point guards have improved after the age of 23. And most of them did not have the, tr- like, if you look at the skills he does bring to the table, most of them didn't have that. Do you think his, do you think his poor passing, to the extent that it's not as high as you'd want regard card, do you think it's as a result of a lack of feel, lack of options? Um, you know, what do you think? Because, like, that, I mean, he's shown plenty of great passing as well. I think this year is when it's really been a red flag, but. Like, you know, it, it doesn't seem to be related to any of those things. I mean, I don't think he's a particularly good... I actually don't think he's actually that good of a passer. Uh, I know he's averaged, like, seven assists a couple years. No, uh, he's not He's not like Chris Paul or... He's closer to Devin Booker as a passer than anything I think else. he's, like, he... To me, he passes, like, Rose did before his knees blew up. That's how he passes to me. And I don't think Rose was ever a particularly good passer. I know that sounds absurd because he averaged... But that's... But if you can create advantages at a high level, that doesn't matter as much. It it doesn't matter that much if you hit a certain threshold. And I have I, the evidence, everything about the entire argument about Darren Fox revolves me to just blame Sacramento. That's like basically the argument. Oh, well, he's in Sacramento. It's so he couldn't play argument. defense. He couldn't play defense and he couldn't shoot and he couldn't make good decisions because he played in Sacramento. Like... I don't know why. Like, why does he get extended? Well, I mean, that has worked for other players, right? D'Angelo Russell got drafted to an, um, a bad environment. He fixed his game. Wiggins fixed his game. Um, like, that is a thing where, like, you're 22 But, but Wiggins is not playing the same role anymore. And neither yeah, so is De'Aaron. We can change De'Aaron Fox's role so he can How? share. How? You cannot shoot the ball. How can you change he can shoot. He can shoot off catch and shoot. Though. That's the point. Like, he, like But he, I, I just told you, I've watched so much of the Kings this year. So much of the reason why he does not get catching shots is because he's a lazy. He's lazy off the ball. He turns his brain off and he doesn't care anymore. You'd and have so to accept. Puck you'd have to believe that he's going to change that mindset. But it's easier I, to do I, that at twenty three than it is for like I would John need, Wall at thirty. Well, there's no evidence to, to what is his skill set as like because off ball shooting. Like if he's just a spot up guy, that's not a that's not meaningful to me. Like he's like he, what what is his off ball skill set? Is he a good cutter? No. Is he a guy that you can run off screens, run floppy for, run him off as a movement shooter? No. Is he a guy who, uh, you know, you can use... Like, obviously, you're not going to re- use him in the short role, obviously, right? You, you can't use him in the role, man. Um, like, the entire... Like, it's just spot-up shooting we're talking about. And that is not the standard anymore in the NBA for... when you're Like, when you're talking about Zach Levine, the reason why he's so good, like, why you can move him off the ball and it's effective, is because... He, you can run him off screens. Like, I mean, it's not an exaggeration to say that some of the effect he has on defenses with his movement is Clay Thompson esque. Just talking offensive. RJ? What's up? No. Uh, no, I'm talking about Levine. Oh, yeah. Sorry. So, like, and even RJ. RJ is much better at hunting for his shot. He's much better about finding space. Like, yeah, like, one of the things, if you go back to even his time at Duke, he was one of the highest volume catch and shoot guys. Uh, in that class, not a good. He wasn't a good shooter, but he he has always been excellent about finding space off the ball, moving off the ball to space the floor for others. Um, he's actually not. I feel like his cutting has actually come down this year, but that's a different argument. Anyway, the point being is like I just think there's more to to, to like what ails De'Aaron Fox in terms of finding uh, off ball utility 
than his situation or the fact that guys can't create advantages for him or like I just I feel like when I watch them play I just I don't like a lot of what Knicks fans say about Fox and why they want him is true in the extent of you're right he is an exceptional penetrating guard you know he he can get into the paint at will and he can finish very well at the rim and he's like there's no way to to diminish that but the flaws that he has as a player are like I don't think they're about Sacramento I don't think they're about the scheme I don't think they're about coaching I don't think they're about who he plays with I think they're about him and so I think if you're if you're trading for him like trading for him is in a lot of ways trading for Cam Reddish in the sense that you're betting on your ability to fix the weaknesses in his game. Obviously, he has a lot more definitive strengths than Cam Reddish does. Um, also gets paid a lot more. Sorry, say it again? Also gets paid a lot more. Yes. Um, but, like, you're ultimately taking the bet that you and, like, that you and the Knicks in this scenario, the Tibbs and the coaching staff and being around Kentucky guys is going to make him, like, how many times, we saw this, you mentioned John Wall. And this is the thing about Russell Westbrook. And those guys had many coaches over their careers. Like, it never changed. It never changed. Like, I don't, it, it's very hard for guys who are bad off-ball players. From what, I mean, I, I can't think of a guy who went from being a terrible off-ball player to a really good one. Like, in terms of not just the ability to hit shots, but... Wiggins? I mean, was he, I, I don't think he was a terrible off-ball player. I just think he couldn't shoot. But he was like a pretty. He's always been a pretty good cutter. Um, you know, he's never he's never had an issue about uh, taking shots when he's open. Like I don't think he was a terrible off ball player in the sense of actually creating those shots. I think mean, he's terrible in knocking down shots, and he's improved at that, and he deserves a lot of credit for that. But like, I'm just talking about the actual ability and and skill set to play off ball. I mean, I just have not seen it with Fox. And I'll be, I'd be lying to you if I said that I watched a bunch of De'Aaron Fox before this season in the NBA. I'd be lying to you if I have not, at various points, wanted De'Aaron Fox in the Knicks. But watching him this year, even I've watched him a bunch. He's, he's been like picking it up lately, right? His scoring has come around lately. He's been playing much more efficiently. And even during that run, I, when I watch him, I'm just like very thoroughly unimpressed by his decision making and all that. Now, that being said, um, I think it's worth mentioning that, like, I harbored similar concerns about DeMar DeRozan and his long track record of not being a net positive player. Uh, by the way, the Bulls are down by 20 right now, which is nice. Um, but, like, like, sometimes it is a matter of in the right context, in the right situation, all of a sudden, these skills that always existed get optimized, and now the player who was flawed and was a net negative is suddenly a huge force, driving force of winning. Now, if you think that, like, Fox is that type of guy, I mean, then you should probably do it. You should probably trade whatever you can to get him. But, like, I just, for me, Fox is, you know, I, if he could shoot, if he shot, like, 35% from three or something like that, then I would probably be, like, a lot more bullish on it. The fact that he can't shoot from three very well and never has, really, um, that really concerns me a lot, a lot more than the defense, more than my thinking that he's questionable passer. I, and, and actually it's one specific thing I need to say about his passing. I've seen a lot of people be like, Oh man, imagine like Fox and pick and roll with like Mitch. And I'm like, he's not a very good, he does not hit the roll man very well. 
uh, in pick and roll. I think that's actually one of his big problems as a distributor, and that's why Rishon Holmes has such a good connection with Halliburton, who, for all his flaws as a penetrating guard, is very good at hitting the roll man and has that kind of um, that that down to an extent in a way that Fox, you know, he's four or five years into his what is he four? Is this his sixth season, Darren Fox? I think it's fifth. Yeah, fifth or sixth, whatever it is. You know, he's at a point in his career where you'd think that'd be better, and it's just not. Um, now, obviously, if you think the drive and kick game and all those kind of things outweigh that, that's fine. But I just think it's that's I one. Mean, I, I think there's when I watch him, they don't space well. Um, I know Frank Barrett has talked a lot about how they never played Bagley at the four, those kind of or Bagley at the five, those kind of things. Um, having said that, is there a price that makes it worth it for you to take Fox on? Are there other options you would prefer to kind of? solve that same problem or, or, or are there other options you prefer in terms of consolidating? Uh, I mean, I think Brunson's a more attractive option. I don't know how, like I, I keep going back and forth on this because I know that like there's obvious reasons why Knicks fans kind of rumor things about Brunson given his connection to the front office. Um, but like, I'm not sure what, I mean, Trading for him wouldn't that would have to involve him flat out telling the Bulls, "I'm leaving, so get whatever you can for me," right? Yeah, and like, so if you, you know the maps, yeah, sorry for the maps. So he'd be like, "Listen, you know," and we know how this is how this works in the NBA and in, in the NBA now. Like, if guys are free agent, he's like, "Look, I'm going to go to this team anyway, so just fucking figure out a deal and get something for me." Um, that it just happens, right? Um, we, we saw this with Jimmy Butler where. He he got to the the Heat. They didn't even have cap space to sign him, right? They like just he told Philly didn't necessarily want to bring him back, uh, and then he told them he wanted to go to Miami, and they made a deal happen, right? They just conjured it out of thin air, really. Um, that is not the case. Like I don't know, Brunson is maybe maybe he will say that. I don't know, um, but like I think the Knicks can offer the Mavericks some good depth pieces. I know they've had a nice season so far this year, uh, Dallas, uh, and they've kind of cobbled together a good defense and things like that. But like, I think their depth is still pretty easily upgraded. Um, I think it'll definitely be more obvious in the in the playoffs. Um, but like, you know, Burks, giving them back their first round pick, uh, you know, is a guy like Cam Reddish appealing to them in the offseason? Um, you know, and like you you, to be clear, you think it wouldn't happen before the offseason? I don't think so because, like, I mean, that this is just my thought on it is if you're trading for Brunson or if the Mavs are trading Brunson, like, I, I don't know how it happens for the season because they're having a good season and he's a really good player for them. So, do you want to make the trade now and potentially have to like risk, you know, being um, worse this year, being when worse when? Especially if, like, you can ultimately make the same type of deal in the offseason. I don't know. You know, I know he's a rest- un- unrestricted free agent, so that might be a motivation for them to move him if he was like, look, I'm leaving no matter what. So, you know, I don't want to be here anymore. If he, if he tells them that, then they have to, they, they, they should move him for the offseason. But I don't think that conversation has happened. I don't think it will happen. Um, so I, I would guess if the Knicks do get Brunson, it would be in the offseason. But I like, like, for me, Brunson's a pretty fascinating player. Um, of all players that have averaged 10 drives or more per game this year, uh, number one in terms of finishing at the rim, so field goal percentage on drives, is Giannis Antetokounmpo. So she's shooting over 59% of the rim. Number two is Jalen Brunson, who is shooting over 58% of the rim. Jalen Brunson, 
who's like six one. Um, I think he's improved a lot as a passer. Uh, I don't think he's like a high end playmaker or anything. Don't get me wrong, but I think he's improved a lot as a passer. I think he's a pretty reliable player at the end of games because he's got a good mid range game. He's got a good pull up game. Um, and he's a great, like, as I just said, he's a great finisher at the rim. I mean, you're talking about one of the elite finishers at the rim, which is crazy given his size. Um, but yeah, his size and touch, his touch is incredible around the rim and he just does a good job of getting there. So yeah, I, I would, I'm definitely more bullish on Brunson than I am Fox. Although this is just a fact, like the physical tools of Fox in terms of his speed and you know, even his ball handling, like it's a different level to Brunson. But Brunson is a—he's—he's uh, he's got a much better assist turnover ratio. He is uh, a better defender at this point, even though Fox may have yeah. a higher ceiling there. Yeah, and and Brunson, you know, I don't—he's not had a long track record as a really good defender. And obviously, the playoff concern—I know there was concerns about him as a playoff performer after the last two seasons. Um, from what I've seen of him this year, and trust me, I do not watch enough of the Mavericks to feel super strongly about this. But like, he looks like he's improved on defense. Um, not that he's like an elite defender or anything, but I think he's gotten better on defense. And I just think he's a better player now than he was last year or the two last two years. So um, the playoff issues with him probably don't matter as much. Uh, if you look up his numbers and compare them to uh, somebody like Fred Van Vliet, overall, pretty similar this season. So, um, you know, if you compare their seasons next side by side, pretty realing. Also worth noting you, that... You like, like per 36 too, right? Per 36, per 100 possessions, any of those right stats you want to look at. Um, and uh, the last thing I'll say about him is if you look at um, the numbers with him on, even without Luka on, they're great. They're really good. The team plays well. He plays well. I think he's like just under 56 true shooting uh, without Luka on. And then with Luka on, he's like 57 true shooting or something like that. So, yes, he takes a bit of a dip, but it's like efficiency is relatively stable. Um, and you know, they've had stretches without Luca where he helped keep them afloat and he was a primary initiator and he had to carry all this responsibility. So, um, yeah, I mean, Brunson's a guy that I would definitely be interested in if I was the next. And in terms of a price, I mean, what are you, what do you think? Cause I think, so there's two questions I'd ask here. Um, one, um, Jeremy had a good, Jeremy Cohen had a good tweet about this, about how essentially, I think there's a report that came out today that uh, Brunson wants 80 for four years. Um, the Mavs really would have to get creative in terms of letting some people go um, to avoid luxury tax hell, uh, whereas the Knicks are, have options to avoid that. Um, how much of a difference do you think that makes, um, or do you think that ultimately it, should, it won't matter to the Mavs unless Brunson absolutely just doesn't want to be there? I mean, I think it might matter to the Mavs. Well, here's the thing. The track record suggests that it matters to the Mavs because I don't think Cuban, if I remember correctly, has never paid luxury tax since they implemented the more stringent luxury tax um, threshold. Uh, I think the last time he, he paid doesn't want to go tax, in the Shark Tank. Yes, I think the last time that he paid the luxury tax was um, the year they won the championship. I don't think he's paid it. He hasn't paid it once since then. I know that, um, and I know that I've seen a lot of Mavs fans talk about this that a lot of his decision-making, they think um, a lot of the decisions the Mavs make are related to not spending, not I don't want to say frugal, but like definitely not uh, extending the budget extensively. Let's put it that way. Um, so 
yeah, I I would say that that is definitely something to think about. Um, but uh, I I would think that if they if he tells them he wants out, they would definitely accommodate him. And I would think that you know I think they would accommodate. Look, we know this is a relationship business. If he wants to go somewhere, I think they'll probably help make that happen. Especially if that team can give him a return. And we know the Knicks have pieces to give them a return. And the Knicks actually have a lot of interesting pieces for a team like Dallas that has its primary initiator in, in Luca, right? Like I think Brooks is a guy that would make a lot of sense over there. Um, I think that even you know, Fournier, the, the price would be a lot. Yeah. Fournier yeah. Brooks. I mean, I think a guy like Deuce McBride, um, you have first round picks, you got second round picks. Like you've got a lot of interesting Obi. I think Obi would be awesome there, by the way. Um, you know, you've got a bunch of things that you can, have they ever traded for a Knicks power forward before on a rookie <laughs> deal? Good question. Um, but like, yeah, I I don't know what my price would be. I, I'd really have to think about it. But like, well, I, mean, I, I guess part of I'm it is very also not attached to picks. I'll put it that way. I think picks are somewhat overrated. Um, especially like I would much rather trade picks than trade the actual young players the Knicks have. Although, if you're trading for Brunson, then you can say like, you know. Should I mean Kemba would de- should definitely go in that trade. Kemba Burks, if you're gonna have Brunson, like does it make sense to even keep Deuce McBride? Like, what is his path with the Knicks? Right? You oh, know, Deuce McBride, can... or if the Mavs want to make a win now move, right? Forget Kemba. The best point guard on the Knicks team is not Kemba. <laughs> Do you think they'd have interest in Rose? Uh, yeah, I think they would have interest in Rose, but I also. I have a very hard time seeing this front office trading Rose as long as Tennessee. Well, if they're getting Brunson back, and they have Deuce and quickly and Brokus waiting in the wings, and you know if that's more appealing to Dallas, which I would imagine, I would prefer to have like Rose if he can play like this next to Luca is actually pretty enticing, right? Um, arguably, almost a one for one replacement for Brunson, although the the trend is probably not going to be in your favor at that point. You know, I think that would make sense. Uh, sorry, well, can you say that again? I think that if I was Dallas, I'd prefer Rose to Kemba. Oh yeah, hundred percent. But like, and I don't know if that would if I would let that get in the way if I was Leon Rose because um, you do have a stable of point guards and um, you know you have Deuce quickly and Rokas overseas and you if you can hold on to Kemba then you have a little bit of you have a, a plan B there like you have the ability to use that and you're getting Brunson back right so. Yeah, I mean, it's it's definitely an interesting argument to be made. Um, I'm, it's I, I actually think that's a pretty reasonable. That's a pretty good point. Uh, I I don't know. Like I I don't know. If I, it's just hard for me to to see it. Like I I don't see this team giving up on on Derrick Rose as long as Tibbs is here, for better or worse. Um, I don't know. Uh, it's tough, but like. It's definitely an argument for it, and it's a pretty reasonable one. It's just like, who knows? I, I just, I really struggle with this. Like, I, I would, I would do it because ultimately, what you're doing is you're turning, you're flipping point guards and paying a premium for it, right? On top of Rose, effectively, that that would be the deal, I think. Um, so, like Rose and Burks gets you to about what twenty two million, um, I think, in salary twenty two. Yeah, and you million. did pick. So you give Dallas probably improves in the short term. Um, 
like they get uh, another, they get essentially another guy to do what Tim Hardaway has done. Probably give you better defense than him. Yeah, and then um, you and you give them. Let's say you give them their own pick back, and you give them a first of your own. So, yeah, I mean that's that's a lot. Now you're talking about and, that is a lot. But I think at that like, point that, I'd probably be like, nah, we're keeping Rosen at that point. But. Yeah, I would too. And I think like ultimately, if you that that's the kind of offer you need to make probably to get them to the table right now, assuming Brunson didn't ask out. But if Brunson asks out, I think you could be like, look, we'll give you Burks and Rose, and maybe we'll give you your pick back. Maybe I don't even think you need to. Do that. I don't even. I, don't, I wouldn't even do that. I would just be like, we'll give you a couple seconds. How about that? Yeah, and they are a win-now team, right? So, like, that's one of the few... Like, when you talk about trading with Indiana or something and you talk about Alec Burks, like, you're not going to get full value for him because they don't care about winning right now. Um, kind of on that note, um, and so a couple of things have happened in the last... Recently, um, Mitchell Robinson has picked up his play significantly. Miles Turner's shooting has come down to earth. Uh, I think both of us earlier in the season were on board with trading for Miles Turner. Um, it was came out today that they want two firsts for him. Where are you kind of on that right now? Um, I would probably not do that now. Um, and I like the, the entire thing was it was predicated on the shooting. The shooting has fallen off. Um, he's still a really good... His efficiency overall is pretty solid, though. I think it's like... I don't even know what it is, but I know it's pretty high. Um... It's just like I, I, their their ask right now seems crazy. Uh, like two firsts and a young player, a, a promising young player, is what was reported today. Like that's just not happening. I'm not going to do that. Um, and with Mitch, like I still have a lot of concerns about him, but my feeling is like we are just better off keeping him through the end of the season anyway, and then making a decision at that time. I mean, Mitch is another guy. You talking about Dallas? Like they, I'm sure they would be interested in Mitch, right? Um, so maybe he's your conduit to getting Brunson in the offseason or something like that. And then you can find a center somewhere else. So like ultimately, like Miles is still somebody I'd be interested in as a starting center option moving forward. But like Mitch has probably played himself back into the view where I'm like, at this point in time, I'm not dying to get Turner or anything. I don't think we desperately need him. So I'll just wait. I'll, I'd wait. Um, I'd, I'd rather be aggressive about like, I'd rather be aggressive about getting a lead guard or consolidating pieces right now than, than trying to get Miles Turner. Gotcha. Uh, and anyone else besides Brunson, then, you would, uh, you're would you interested in? Um, I don't know what Sexton's deal is, but, I mean... Sex, Sex, Sexton would interest me. He'd be, inter- he'd be somebody I'd be interested in. Um, I think the price would probably be not too much right now, given his injury and stuff like that. Garland's um, emergence, yeah. So that's that's something that uh, he'd be somebody of interest. I actually think Sexton's more appealing than Fox, um, as a as a guy to trade for. Um, I think he's got more promising shooting metrics. I know the playmaking; he's not as good a playmaker as Fox, which is funny because I just shit on Fox a bunch. But like, I actually think they have similar flaws as playmakers. Um, and I think Sexton has shown a lot more versatility as an off-ball player offensively anyway you know he's he did play off ball with garland a lot and the defense wasn't good but the offense was i think um and i think he's just shown a lot of versatility he's raised his efficiency i think every year um so yeah i mean i would i would be into training for colin sexton sure uh any other guards 
Not really. I mean, it's a hard. It's hard to to know because um, that's the hardest position to acquire because teams generally don't want to trade point guards when they have one, right? That's the hardest thing, or lose them in free agency or whatever. Uh, it's it's rare to it's they they don't move that often. So when you get a chance, like it's probably worth it. And I think like if there's any, the argument for Fox is probably that is like, hey, look, like yeah, he's flawed. But you wouldn't get him if he wasn't flawed. Like you, you wouldn't, but like the talent is there, right? And um, of all the guys we've talked about, I'll always like I whatever I would say about him, I do think he has the highest ceiling out of any of them. I just think the floor is a lot shakier, and I think the path to getting to that ceiling is also a lot riskier. But like Brunson, to me, is a guy who is he capable of being a primary initiator on championship team or whatever? I don't know. I just think that like I can see him closing games at the high end of the playoffs. That's all I can really say about it. I don't think he could be like your number one option or something, but he's a guy I would feel comfortable with, you know, going into a, a playoff series with. Um, so I, I don't know. I, it, it's just, it's a very tough position. Um, and ultimately like you, usually when you go after a guy for those spots, like you have to risk something. Um, so, you know, is a guy like Fox the right risk to take? I mean, ultimately the Knicks are going to have to pull the trigger on something. So as much as I like, can be skeptical of Fox. Like I do think he's probably one of the better bets on the board uh, in terms of that type of player who could move. Um, but yeah, there's not a lot of them, right? I mean, I, I don't even know who else you'd even think about in that vein. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a, a small crop. Um, yeah, no, that's uh, that makes sense to me. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, I guess that's a good place to end it. Uh, unless there's anything else you wanted to talk about, Stacey. No, I think uh, talked a lot about it. Uh, got another game tomorrow, so the, let's see how the Knicks respond. Let's see. All right, well, that's our show for today. Uh, thank you for listening. Uh, Stacey, is there anything that you would like to plug before we get out of here? Uh, I'll plug Jack Huntley's article on the Strickland. Um, it is... Not out, it is outside the Patreon, so anyone can view it uh, about Emmanuel quickly and kind of the incessant is he a point guard, is he not debate? And it doesn't really matter because, as Shuni and I touched on, uh, he just positively impacts the team generally, whatever position he plays. But it's also just a great article by one of the best writers in the sports verse in Jack Huntley. So uh, I'll plug that. I too will plug that. It's a great article. Uh, I have nothing to plug, so I'm going to plug that article. Uh, I'll plug this podcast. I'll plug all our podcasts. Uh, but that is our show for today. Thank you for listening. Hope everybody has a great week, and I'll see everybody on You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.